0: Good morning everyone. Today's reading is from Joshua chapter 3 verse 1 to chapter 4 verse 8. And it can be found on page 171 of the Bible. Early in the morning Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you've you've never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites and Jebusites, see the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zahar Zaratin. while the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, The Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God, into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among, among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do those stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off These stones are to be memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over with them to the camp where they put them down. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: thanks for that. if you can have your bibles open to joshua chapter 3 and 4 that would be great actually we'll go all the way to joshua 3 1 to 5 1 um, but we didn't have time to read all of it but if you have your bibles open i'll mention a few other places uh, from it um, so let's keep it open let's pray that god will speak to us this morning Lord, we thank you for your word that it's living and active and sharper than two-edged sword. And Lord, we pray now that you would remind us of greatness of who you are and greatness of our salvation, that we might live uh, remembering it and teaching our children um, about it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Sorry, I didn't have time to prepare a PowerPoint (laughs) this week. So the outline is on the uh, bulletin, um, so do take a look um, there. Well, I don't know what you remember uh, it, about your life. There are vivid memories for me of few days that have changed my life. I remember vividly the day that I, my family arrived to the U.S. when we immigrated. I remember seeing all the trees around Potomac River and smelling what that was like. I remember the day that I was ordained. I remember the day I vividly, once again, the uh, day that, that I got married, had Barney. These were days that changed my life. And Joshua chapter 3 and 4 in the life of Israel is uh, an important day. It's a day that changed Israel's history. It's a day when God fulfilled his promise to Abraham. Remember this promise in uh, Genesis chapter 2, 7, to your offspring, I will give you this land. And that was about year 2000 BC. And 600 years later, 600 years later, that's a long time. After the deliverance out of Egypt, after the plagues and parting of the Red Sea, wandering and the whole generation dying, they are finally going to enter the promised land. They must have wondered if they were ever going to get there, but today... They will go in across the Jordan River into the land that was promised to them. And God sure made that day memorable. He ordered the Ark of the Covenant to go before them, to make sure that they know that it's God who is going before them. Um, he went, the Ark went almost a full kilometer before the people. And this was for two reasons. Uh, partly so that everyone could see the miracle that was about to happen right from a distance. And, uh, and not only that, they didn't want to, uh, God didn't want uh, them to get too close to the ark because ark was the symbol of God's presence, the footstool uh, f- uh, from which God uh, reigned over all the earth. And so God then ca- ordered them to consecrate themselves for the day in verse 5, which meant getting themselves ready by fasting and praying, confessing their sins, washing themselves. And then on that day, he did the impossible. Even for the modern military, it's really difficult to cross a river, right? It presents a logistical nightmare. How are these hundreds of thousands of people with their possessions and livestock, with children, most, uh, most people who couldn't swim, right, because they were in Egypt most of their life, how are they cross this river? And Jordan River back then wasn't the same as Jordan River now. Jordan River now is actually, it, it's not a big river because of all the dams and canals that uh, redirect the, uh, the the waters to sort of agricultural sites and cities, but a ninth-century description of it says that they, they were that the river was anywhere between 90 to 100 feet wide, and the depth of three to 12 feet. The current was really strong too, if, because if you think about it, from the Sea of Galilee to the Dead Sea, Dead Sea is the lowest point on earth, right? So the river drops, which meant the current was strong. It wasn't a nice little stream, it was a, it, it, it was a raging river. And around it, of course, were jungles, right, of growth that's coming up, muddy waters to make the matters worse. Verse 15 says that it was uh, a, a fl- at a flood stage at the time. So how were they to cross? Well, that, this happened. Verse 15. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away in a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zaretan while the water flowing down to Sea of Arabah, the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. And this is what the Israelites would have seen about 900 meters away. The priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant, standing in the middle of the river, and far away in the distance, this water, wall of water, heaping up upon each other. The ground that they crossed wasn't muddy. It's told that we're told that it was dry for their feed, for their children, for the carts, for their animals and livestock. They entered the promised land in the most unforgettable fashion possible. God did that for them, because this was the day when God was going to fulfill His promise. But then, why? Why the, why the drama? why did god do it this way they could have crossed it at a better time at a better location maybe but god chose to do it here and then uh, there and then and if you look at verse 10 god gives us a reason chapter 3 verse 10 this is how you will know that the living god is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the canaanites hittites hivites Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and jebusites god says he did it in this fashion to assure them that the rest of the promised land was theirs, right? As they were going to go into battles, they still have many battles to fight. It will not be a problem. As they went to the battle, they were to say to themselves, if God could, have done, could, could, if God could do this, if God is with us, then who can stand against us? And that's the effect that it has on, not just on the Israelites but on their enemies as well. If you scroll down to chapter 5, verse 1, this is what we read. Now when the Amorite kings of the west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted in fear and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. It's as if Israelites won the battle of all the, the Canaanite and Amorite kings even before a sword was lifted because they heard of what God has done and his mighty power and God was how God was with the Israelites. God did it so that they would be certain of their salvation that's to come. But we live in Hong Kong when we want to cross the river or the harbor. We take ferries or go through tunnels. We don't need to fight enemies to go anywhere to enter a promised land. But actually, for all of us, something like this but much greater has happened to all of us if we trust in Jesus. If we have turned to Christ because each one of you have been converted. You have been baptized through water and the spirit. You went from one side to the other. You have died and risen again with Christ. You have been made a people of God. You went from the kingdom of darkness into his wonderful light. And we have become his people. I remember the the day when I received my American passport. I didn't feel any more American uh, than I did the, the, the the day before. I looked the same, my name was the same, my birthday was the same, my personality was the same. But actually, I had become an American citizen. I didn't have to go to the Korean army anymore. (laughs) But it also afforded me with all the protection of the American citizenship. When we came to Christ, that faith that you put in Jesus Christ, it might feel like a little thing. Today, seven of you will be baptized, it might feel like a little thing but it changes the eternal destiny. It changes what God promises and you become the citizen of the kingdom of God and all the rest that God promises is yours from now and forever. And I know that there are those among you who struggle daily with your sinfulness. You fight it, but you say to yourself, why doesn't God do something about this? Why am I like this? Why do I keep on learning the lesson that I'm sinful, that I need God's grace? And you want to give up. You want to just give in. And if that's you, please know that you have crossed the river. Your eternal destiny has been changed. The Spirit of God is in you and you're made new. This means that you will be changed. You will be made new. So keep going persevere because he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until Christ, until the day of Christ Jesus. And perhaps you're facing illness, perhaps death itself. One day all of us will have to think about our eternal destiny. We'll face our death and when we do, our faith will be tested. We might fear the future. The death will seem big for us but hold on to the faith that God has given you. That might feel like a small thing, but like crossing the Jordan River, it changes everything. It means that you will enter into God's presence when you die. It means when He comes back again, we will live with Him in the new creation where death and sin are no more. These are certainties that God gives us through our faith. The Israelites became certain of their salvation on that day because God, this is amazing thing because they came to know uh, that God was with Joshua. And that's what we see once again, if we go back to the text in verse seven, God says, God is going to exalt Joshua so that they would know that God was with Joshua just as he was with Moses. And once again, if you then turn to chapter four, verse 14, that's the result. That's what we read. Uh, chapter 4, verse 14. That day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel. They stood in awe of him. Uh, literally, it's they, they stood in fear of him. They feared him all the days of his life, just as they stood in awe of Moses, just as they feared Moses. The result of Joshua doing this, uh, exaltation of Joshua, displaying God's power and might through Joshua was that they started to fear. Joshua. They started to fear Joshua just as they feared Moses because they found out that when Joshua speaks, it's not him speaking, it's God speaking. When Joshua does something, he does it with the presence of God. When they saw him, they saw God I think this is, when I first was ordained, um, I started to sign my name, Reverend Hiu Han. It always seemed out of place, and it still seems out of place for me, because if you think about that title, reverend, right, it comes from the word revere, to have this uh, sense of fear, reverence, because I am so to be identified with God that when you see me, you're supposed to have this sort of sense of fear. I know that nobody does, and that's Okay. (laughs) But I remember when I was little, I, I would see these monks or nuns or something, and I would think to myself, oh, they, they, they're special people. They're, they're with God. They probably know something about me or that they have this special power or something. And I would have a bit of a fear of them. And whether you feel that way about any one or not, people on that day stood in awe of Joshua because God so identified with him in this way. And of course, we have a greater Joshua, Jesus, and we ought to fear him in a similar way. And we don't, do we? I mean, when we think of Jesus, we think of, I don't know, somebody who is like our uncle or is warm and cuddly or something like that. We don't fear him. And often it's because we have a cartoon picture of who Jesus is. But imagine, I mean, think about the gospel stories and imagine, transport yourselves to these uh, stories. Imagine if you were there on the day that Jesus turned the water into wine. Imagine that you were one of the servants. You saw this happen. It was water and then now it's wine. How would you look at Jesus? Imagine if you saw people struck stricken with Demon possessions everywhere, Jesus won. These people fall down and they recognize Jesus and they say they say, You're the Son of God. Have you come to punish me? How would you feel towards Jesus if you saw him commanding the wind and the waves? Be calm. And they obeyed. How would you feel? Wouldn't you be afraid? The disciples were afraid, they were terrified. If you had been there on the moment when Jesus says outside of Lazarus's tomb, Lazarus come out and this man who had been dead comes out after three days, wouldn't you fear Jesus? Wouldn't you go, who is this man? But well, these weren't party tricks. These weren't simple signs that God was with him. These were signs that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the second person of the Trinity, the God who came to be with us. God, man, Jesus, our Savior. And when he comes in glory, when all the dead will arise and bow the knee before him, we will fear him. We will see who he is. And we will be in awe of our Savior, Jesus. And think about what that Savior has done. He came to do something much greater than parting a sea, parting the river. The path that Jesus forged wasn't to a piece of land. It forged the path out of hell. It forged the path from death to life itself. It made a way for our bodies to be renewed, to be endowed with God's glory. It made a path for the whole world to be renewed. That's what Jesus has done with all his power. The greater salvation that we have in Christ is in him. And think about how he did it. Moses and Joshua were exalted when God displayed his power through them. But John writes this about Jesus and how he was exalted. This is John chapter 12, verse 32 to 33, uh, which is on page 873 in our church Bibles. John twelve thirty-two. When I am lifted up, which is the same word in Greek as exalted. When I'm exalted, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And he said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. You see how Jesus was exalted. With all his power at his disposal, he was stripped naked, given crown of thorns, beaten and whipped, nailed to the uh, cross, and then he was lifted up on the cross. And that's how God chose to be exalted, to reveal himself, and all people will be drawn to him. Israelites fear Joshua, so they listen to him, right? They say, I will listen, I will obey. We ought to fear our great, greater Lord Jesus for who he is and listen to him. But you see, more than that, we ought to listen to him because we love him. Because of who this God is and how beautiful he is, how gracious and loving he is. We must listen to him because we love him. And when that moment of crossing the Jordan River is over, God then orders uh, the one person from each tribe to gather a stone from the riverbed and bring it out to Gilgal and set it there as a memorial. There'll be a, that they will be a memorial for the next generation. Uh, This is chapter 4, verse 6. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan River was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordans were cut off. And these stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So they are to remember, right? Because one of the greatest enemies of the gospel is that we forget. We forget the greatness of our salvation all the time. And so God says, make a memorial for yourselves, but not just for yourselves, but for the next generation. So that when your children ask, what are these stones for? Then you explain to them what God had done for, for you. But unfortunately, we know that that didn't stick for the Israelites. After the book of Joshua comes book of Judges. And this is what we read in Judges chapter 2, verse 7. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things that the Lord had done for Israel. But then in chapter 2, verse 10, after that the whole generation had gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who knew neither the, nor, uh, neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served Baal. It took one generation to forget. Forget completely what God had done. And they did evil and served Baal as their Lord. The same danger faces us. Christianity is always one generation away from extinction. We feel that acutely in the west right because the numbers declining well it doesn't happen it hasn't happened in china yet the numbers still strong but uh, we know that in churches across hong kong aging population is a problem young people are not going to church as they used to we face the same problems so we are to make memorials not just for ourselves, but for our children. We are to teach them. We are commanded to teach them. We are commanded to impress upon our children our faith. We are to decorate our houses to remind ourselves of the salvation. We're to make symbols. uh, Singa and Kao, when I asked them, What do you think is the biggest danger, uh, biggest obstacle of them becoming Christian or being raised up as Christian? And they said, well, the biggest danger might be us, our bad example. Uh, They they fear that their biggest fear is their daughters uh, see them and not know from them that God is their living God. I was talking to Alex, Alex uh, uh, at St. Andrews, the vicar uh, of St. Andrews, he tells a story about his friend who stopped going to church about 10 years ago and they moved to a different part when, uh, when they moved to a different part of Australia. They took their time to look for a different church and soon other things like sports and other things crept up into their schedule. Both parents had demanding jobs, so, you know, on Sundays they uh, liked to have a line time to time. And then they never settled into uh, uh, a new church. They became occasional churchgoers. And Alex was talking to their old pastor and asked him whether he thought, how they were doing. And this pastor said, well, they'll probably still be Christian, but their children probably won't. And I thought, wow. What a, what, a, what a thing. You might have the living faith, but if you do not teach your children, if you do not live in such a way that tells your children that this is the most important thing about your life, your children might not follow you. Because children know. They pick up on hypocrisy. They're, the, they're detectives right, of hypocrisy. What, what's important to you will be important to them if you live it, live it out. And we as parents are to be memorials of our salvation to our children. I hope you will live in such a way that will make your children ask you, Dad, why do we go to church so much? Why do you read the Bible so much? Why are you so generous? Why do we have people come over to our house all the time? Why are you hospitable in this way? Why do you live in the way that you do? Make your children ask these questions because, and live in a way that that will make your children ask, ask you these questions. And when they ask, tell them. Tell them of your salvation. Tell them of Jesus and what Jesus means to you. But of course don't forget the gospel in all of it. Because you can forget the gospel doing all of these things as well. And I'm often like this. One can make it one's duty to go to church, duty to pray, to duty to read the Bible, to duty to be generous, to duty to be hospitable. We can make it our duty for, we can do all of these things for all the wrong reasons and forget the gospel. And they'll pick up on that too. Remember, the memorial is built after they cross the Jordan. If we do anything, cross, uh, think about uh, what it means to have been saved, what it means to have crossed the Jordan. Our works are not to be done to put God in debt, but in love and fear of Jesus, who he is and what he has done for us. Friends, because of what Jesus has done, Our salvation is certain, certain. And the salvation that he's given us is greater than anything that we can imagine. And when Jesus comes back, we'll see the fullness of what that means. So please remember, remember your salvation. And let's teach our children that they would come to love and fear our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we give you great praise and thanks for our salvation, but we know that our forgetfulness is one of the biggest enemies that face us. Lord, would you help us to remember your greatness? Would you help us to remember the amazing grace that we've received? And help us to think of ways to make memorials of our salvation everywhere. Not just to remind ourselves, not just to remind each other, but so that our children the people around us, the kids around us will come to know you and praise you and live for you the rest of their lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.